What is the mark of a Christian? It's a simple question. What is the mark of a Christian? You could actually give a couple different answers. Maybe maybe a handful. But how do we know whether someone's a believer or not? A true believer. Not simply a professor of Christ or someone who believes in Jesus, to use a very popular phrase today, goes to church. What what is it? What is it? What's the mark of a believer? What's the mark of someone who's born again? Is it that they walk down the aisle and prayed the prayer? Is it that they've simply prayed the prayer? Is it that they go to church? You know, what does that even mean? You don't go to church, you are the church. Is it that they have good theology? Bible answer man, read the Bible, pray. That they're nice, that they behave on and on and on and on and on, that they give. Hey, maybe they give. Typically, people who are not true Christians do not give. But sometimes, and there are so many people that have all the right answers and claim to be believers and just don't give a red cent to the church. In so many ways, that the, the, the checkbook is the theological, is a, a theological document, and, and it is a, a barometer of the heart. Where is the heart? I mean, I've, as pastor, seen so many people talk great game, and then you see what they give or don't give, and uh, you realize where their hearts are. A lot of hypocrisy in the church. In fact, it's everywhere. It's in my heart. It's in all of our hearts. But what is, uh, what is the mark of a Christian? That's really, I think, what dominates and characterizes this passage here in the early part of Acts 19. Paul is, it's a super controversial passage, and I'll explain why in a second. Paul is, he's heading home back to Jerusalem from his second, on his second missionary journey. He'll take one more. And he's moving from Corinth in present-day Greece to, to Ephesus in present-day excuse me, in present-day southwest Turkey. He's heading through the mountains, and he encounters about a dozen, 12 disciples. Luke just calls them disciples. Luke writes the book of Acts. He calls them disciples. No, there's no descriptor. And Paul's just trying to figure out if these guys are true followers of Jesus. And so he asks them in verse 2, Acts 19, verse 2, he asks them a diagnostic question that really... Is it the heart of what makes this passage controversial? But it's also it also, I believe, gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, a born-again uh, human being. Um, he says, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he found, verse 1, he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then? Have you been, were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul responds in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. In other words, and he says, that is Jesus. In other words, the, Paul, the whole point of John was to point to Jesus. It's like they, you follow, it's like, a spotlight man you 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 build your whole life around a spotlight well what's the point of a spotlight it's to put it's to spot something with light it's to point to something john was a spotlight that's what we're to be 
the point of us isn't us it's jesus and so he's saying man you may be disciples of jesus and i'm interpolating here this isn't in the text but i'll unpack it in a second you may be disciples of jesus but man if you're following john the baptist and you understand the whole point of john's ministry was to decrease that jesus might increase to point to literally when jesus would walk by point his disciples to jesus and say behold check that guy out that is the lamb of god who come who has come for one reason to take away the sins of the world so let, let's let's dig into this some um, and the and, and the verses continue um a bit but it's controversial because these men then he tells them more about jesus they believe on jesus and um are baptized and excuse me i'm and i'm i'm inserting that i'm looking at the text here yes yes it does say this they believe they're baptized in the name of the lord jesus and then he lays his paul lays his hands on them and it says that the holy spirit came on them this is verse six and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying now it's controversial because this is a proof text for the old pentecostals and maybe pentecostals still at least of some strives to say that um man he found out to say that you you can be a believer and not have the holy spirit in the way that these men ended up getting the holy spirit and then the sign of that holy spirit baptism after salvation is tongues and prophecy or at least tongues so they use this as a proof text for that in other words the controversial bit really there i guess there are two is one you can be a believer and not have the baptism of the holy spirit and then uh you can be a believer and because you don't have the baptism of the holy spirit not speak in tongues in other words the implication there is man you really you all need as a christian if you don't have that second baptism and you don't speak in tongues you are missing out on some inheritance of every christian now there's a lot there and um they attach that to this text and, and some other stuff too i guess but I don't. I think that the I think that this text, when you look at it, it's really cutting through all that and saying something quite different. Um, the mark of the Christian is that you have the Holy Spirit. In other words, you cannot be a, a born again believer. You can know stuff about Jesus. You can even call yourself a disciple of Jesus, and you can be following Jesus, but you're not saved. And you don't know why he really came and you haven't really pushed your chips in and believed on Jesus as the Lord and Savior, as who he truly is, as the one who came and died for us and rose for us, Um, unless you have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the mark of the believer. And there are so many passages in the the scriptures that attest to that. Um, Let me, well, let me just give you a few right now, I suppose. Um, Don't take my word for it, right? I mean, John 3 is maybe the most prominent. But John 3, 5, Acts eleven seventeen, Romans 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Galatians 3, 2, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 and following, Titus 3, 5, Hebrews 6, 4, 1 Peter 1, 2, 1 John 3, 24, 4, 13, and on it goes. Um, but what does Paul say here? Let me recreate the scenario. It's, it's a bit confusing. It's, it's confusing. It's a hard text. It's a bit fuzzy. It's a bit opaque. 
And so let me say this here, a rule of Bible interpretation, and indeed of any interpretation of any bit of writing is, don't, you know, let the more lucid and clear bits of writing in that, in that book, in that document, help interpret the ones that are harder to understand. There's a legal dictum that's sort of along these lines that says, um, uh, hard law, is it, God, is it hard law makes bad cases? Uh, hard cases, <laughs> Hunter, so I didn't sound right. Hard cases make bad law. Hard cases make bad law. Um, if, you, if you extrapolate and develop a law based solely on a really difficult case, it often ends up being a bad law. Um, and the same is true for um, the same is true for scripture. Don't develop a doctrine based on one really difficult text. Let let the light of other more lucid and clear texts in scripture, which agree with one another, and help us form a good solid doctrine of truth of who God is and who we are in light of that. Let those shed light onto the murkier, harder texts like this one. And we know from all of the texts that I just mentioned and many more, that you cannot be a born-again creation through faith in Jesus without the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you. He's the sign and seal of our salvation. You can't be a follower of Jesus and a true disciple um, and believe on his death for you and on his resurrection for you. And not have the Holy Spirit in you. You're not alive. You're still dead. You're not a follower of Jesus. Okay? Now, so so how do we interpret this text then? What's the deal? How, how does it work? Well, let me recreate the scenario. Paul's hiking and he bumps into these guys and Luke just describes them as disciples. Now, they all want to say, we're, you know, we, we, um, we were baptized into John's baptism. Now, maybe people say, and I think this is fair, right? It's a decent interpretation. People say, well, they were disciples of John, the Baptist, not of Jesus. So, of course, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe, but there's a, a bit of an obstinate fact here in the text, and that is that it's not, it's not insurmountable, but the fact is, and you need to know about it, that, so here Luke, in verse 1 of Acts 19, says that... Um, there, I'm quoting from the ESV, there he found some disciples. That's just a plain English translation of the Greek. There he found some disciples, period. There's no descriptor. It's just he found disciples. Now, Jesus and John go on to be mentioned. So disciples of whom? Well, there's no descriptor there. Any, every other place that Luke says disciples with no descriptor, it's always disciples of Jesus, never of anyone else. Because Jesus is the main player. He's the main character. So if there's no descriptor, Luke's just saying, yeah, of course, disciples, I'm not, I'm not giving you a descriptor because, of course, it's disciples of the main guy, the head honcho, Jesus. This could be an exception to that, but it would be that. It would be the only exception to the rule. Um, so that's, again, it could be disciples of John, but it would be the only time that, that Luke ever does that. So it's probably disciples of Jesus, probably, not, not certainly, but probably. So that being the case, how can you be a disciple of Jesus? How could... Paul has stumbled on disciples of Jesus, but then they don't have the Holy Spirit. Are the Pentecostals right? Well, I don't think so. John Stott looks at this and he says, he's writing from Paul's, Luke's writing from Paul's perspective. He found some disciples. He thought they were disciples of Jesus, but then he detects 
something. And you can sense when the Holy Spirit of the living God is in, living in someone, has taken up residence. And there's a, there's a joy. There's a life. There's an animus. Your spirit often will testify with their spirit, the same spirit, the spirit of the living God that they are, that you have the same spirit, the spirit of Christ, and that, they, that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe that's why Paul goes on to say, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Here's the thing. So that's what Stott says. He says he thought they were disciples. But here's the thing I would add to that, and I think that's probably true. But why did he think they were disciples? Probably because they thought they were disciples of Jesus. Look, they had heard of Jesus. If, if, if you've heard of John the Baptist, you knew his ministry was about Jesus. And here's the thing. They didn't even know about Jesus' baptism. And the baptism just, doesn't just mean water baptism. There's so much wrapped up into that. Jesus talks about his baptism as being one of fire. Um, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and woe that we're already, and would would that it were already accomplished. He's talking about the cross. He's going to be dunked under the the white hot fury of the wrath of God against sin and evil, and he endures that on the cross. And he he is submerged into death and hell, and emerges victorious three days later, rises alive. And he holds the keys of death and hell. So that all that is wrapped up into what his baptism is. They hadn't even heard of that. In other words, they, what they had heard of, probably his ministry, how popular he was, but the fact that he actually came to die, that huge, great surprise, that mystery, that his mission was to die in our place. Not, not just an example, not just as a wonderful messianic figure like David who came to conquer and who came to touch and to heal and to open blind eyes and to lay, raise the dead and to do miracles and to feed God's people and to teach. They probably heard about the, all this and said, we're following him. And, and, and that was good. But his ministry complete was that he came to die. And attached to that is he rose three days later and defeated death. And so he came not just as our example, but as our substitute. Not just as our deliverer to open blind eyes, but, but our consummate deliverer to deliver us from what he died for. And what, what he died to, sin, death, and hell. And so, um, and then he rose again and defeated death. And when we believe on him as our substitute and as our savior and as our Lord we receive his very spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God. He comes to take up residence within us and he connects us to the life of Christ, to the life of God and makes us children. Um, and so they, you know, Paul may have discerned they were disciples because they probably thought they were disciples, followers, but they weren't saved. You can be a follower of Jesus. You can believe in Jesus as it were, but unless you believe that he died for you on that cross, he took what you deserve and that he rose victorious from the grave, you will not be saved. And, and, and you will not have his spirit. You will not have his spirit. His spirit is a mark of the fact that you have believed on him as he is for what he came to do. Not just as a good man, not just as a prophet like the Muslims believe. They, the Muslims believe he's a perfect prophet, but they don't believe that as the son of the living God, he died on a Roman cross for them. You must believe this to be saved. And when you do, you receive the Holy Spirit as a mark of that salvation. And the Holy Spirit brings you from death to life. That's how you know a Christian. A Christian, yes, as Jesus says in Matthew 7. Remember how at the beginning of this message I said that there are a few ways you could describe a Christian? Yes, he says, by their fruit you will know them. What is the mark of, of, of someone who's believed on Christ? 
and who has the Holy Spirit in them. Well, the mark is that you become, a, you become, you're not dead anymore, you're alive. And as a living thing, you begin to bear fruit. You were a thorn bush, and now constitutionally you've been changed into an apple tree. You begin to bear apples. You bear good fruit. No, mo- no more, no longer, hey, you still sin, but selfishness, avarice, uh, envy, cruelty, pride, lying, adultery. These things don't characterize you anymore. Um, what characterizes you is God, the life of God himself in you, working through you, changing you, making you more like Jesus. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, um, faithfulness, and self-control. These aren't just random things. They are, first of all, like Paul says in Galatians 5, they are things against which there is no law. There's no law ever on the earth that forbids these things. And if, it, and if there is, it's an evil law. Because they're good and God is good. And this is the evidence of the life of God inside of you. So you cannot believe on Christ and not have the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul asked this diagnostic question. Hang on, hang on. You're maybe telling me you're disciples uh, of Jesus, and perhaps you are, but did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, let's keep on going, because if you didn't, you, um, you aren't, you don't know the real reason that Jesus came. You don't know. In other words, you don't know the gospel. The gospel, the good news, isn't just that Jesus came and healed and was wonderful and preached a wonderful message and let's imitate him. That's not the gospel. A lot of people think that's the good news. The good news is that he came to die in your place. He came as a bridge to God by paying what you owe, what you must pay to have peace with God. But if you paid it, you'd be in hell forever. You'd be crushed. You'd be decimated. Jesus paid it in your place. And when you believe on him, he becomes your substitute. And then he rose from the dead. He beat death in a way that you never could have. And so in him, you also have beaten death. And the power of sin is no longer a power over your life. You still sin, but you're able not to sin. And you now have his heart and his desire to please the Father. And he's alive in you. And he's with you. And you have a relationship with him. And you're his brother. And you're his son as a father. And he's never going to let you go. The essence of Christianity isn't like the baptism of John. That's about washing away of sins, repentance, turning away from stuff. That's a negative. It's good. It's a necessary negative. I am a sinner. I, I want to turn away from these things. That's the essence of John's repentance. But John, John, of John's baptism, but his baptism pointed to something greater, and that was Jesus. And Jesus came not, not just for a negative, but for a positive that we might have life, that we might have his spirit in us, that we might be born again, adopted. He didn't just come for atonement, for the paying of sins, for the cleansing of sins, for expiation. He came for adoption. He came to make us sons and daughters. He came to bring us back into the family of God. He came to give us peace and joy and life. And that's what Paul is saying here in the mark of that is that you have the Holy Spirit in you. So, so no, quite the opposite. You can't believe on Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. If you do believe in the gospel and and understand fully why Jesus came, you will be marked with the spirit of the living God. And why do these guys bust out into tongues and prophecy? Lastly, and then I'll close. Because this is clearly, if you read the whole book of Acts and and you just kind of do a slightly careful study of this, this is not 
This does not happen every time people come to Christ. People are coming to Christ left and right. The world is being turned upside down. The Mediterranean rim is being lit up with the spirit of the living God and with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came to save us from what we never could have saved ourselves from. At infinite cost to himself. And it's a free gospel received by faith. That's lighting up the Mediterranean rim. And we only see this a handful of times where people... The Holy Spirit comes on them, and then they're saved. They believe on Christ. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and then what? They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Where do we see this? Here's the key. We see it at Pentecost, and then outside of Pentecost, in Acts 2, we see it only two other times, and then this time. We see it first with, um, let me see if I can get this right. Is it first with the Samaritans? Yep. Then it's with the Gentiles, the just the Greek, non-Jew, non-Samaritans, the dogs as the... See, the Jews despised the Samaritans, and the Jews despised the Gentiles. And, and a perverse understanding of the Old Testament, their perverse understanding of who they were in the Old Testament was that we're God's people, they're not, they're unsavable. Um, in both cases, at Pentecost, yes, uh, when the Spirit was poured out as he was for the first time on the church, and then in the case of the Samaritans and Gentiles, the gospel message was going out and Jesus was saving through this message of free of free grace and forgiveness. Um, it was going out he was going out and saving people group people groups, people that the Jews thought were unsavable. So the mark of that, the sort of the, the Holy Spirit's stamp on that, God's stamp on that, this is real. This is salvation for them too. Salvation is available in Jesus Christ for everyone, for them as well, for the Samaritans and the Gentiles. That, those are the only two other times that this happens where they start speaking in tongues. And then the third time, and the, and the only other time that that happens in Acts, is here with these that Paul really has a question about. And the question is, are they saved? Actually, they were probably following Christ, but not. They didn't yet understand the gospel in there. They weren't saved because they didn't. We know this. They did not have the Holy Spirit. When they get the Holy Spirit, how do we know that they're saved? Um, well, the stamp on it is that they start to speak in tongues again. It's, um, it's an exception. It's not the rule. But it shows that this people group, like the Samaritans and the Gentiles, really have been brought in. Um, and the mark of that is the Holy Spirit. And then in this case, they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. It's not something that every Christian will do, in other words. Um, but in this case, it's a public mark that they were saved. Um, because they got the gospel finally from Paul. And so we just need to be careful as believers to make sure that people believe not just bits about Jesus, whether it's a Muslim friend or or someone else that's just has the sort of cultural Christian understanding of, hey, I walked the aisle, hey, I went to church. I was with my hairdresser recently, and she was talking about I, she's um, date, dating someone and and I said, well, is he, is he a believer? She is. I said, is he a believer? She said, well, yeah. She's kind of taken back by the question almost. I was like, okay, that's a problem. We're, by the way, we're going to have a follow-up talk. But she said, yeah, you know, he grew up in the Methodist church, and his mom took him to church. And I was like, okay, hang on. The fact that you think that, well, yeah, he's a believer because he grew up in the church, that's rubbish. That is not the mark of a Christian. It is not the mark of a There are a lot of people that grew up in the church and that go to church that are that are dead as doornails because they have not believed they have not believed on Jesus Christ they do not believe that he 
they're still trying to they're still trying to behave and earn God's favor. You can't do it. He had God's favor and gives it to us by becoming our substitute, taking what we deserve and giving us his favor in his life, um, in his relationship with God. He, he trades places with us. That is the gospel, that he lived the life that we should live but can't, of obedience to the Father from the heart, and died a horrific death on the cross, paying for our sins, becoming our sin substitute. And then... Uh, he finished that work. He finished that payment. And as proof of that, he rose from the dead and has begun a completely new creation that will never end. And we are brought up into that. And the mark of that is the Holy Spirit coming and taking up residence within us when we believe on Christ. That is what makes a Christian. Not walking the aisle, not praying a prayer necessarily, not growing up in church, not tithing, not behaving, not, not doing stuff, not drinking or dancing or cussing or going with girls who do. None of that stuff, okay? That's not, none of that's the mark of a Christian. By their, by their fruit, you will know them. So, to be a Christian means to be born again. To be born again means that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Um, the Spirit cannot live inside of you if you are dead. The Spirit makes you alive. And if you are dead, you have never believed on Christ. Um, just in closing, I want to share something from J.D. Greer in his book, uh, Gaining by Losing. And he, he talks in that book about um, John sixteen seven, where John where John has Jesus. He records Jesus saying to the disciples toward the end of his ministry before he goes to the cross. He's at the eve of the cross, right? And he's kind of giving them last words, last words on earth. And he says, I'm going to leave you. And they, of course, I mean, you talk about Debbie Downer, um, total buzzkill. They're super sad. They love Jesus. They love him. They love him more than they've ever loved anyone in their lives. He's changed their lives. He is special. He's their leader. He's the Messiah. They've come to believe that, but they still don't know what that means. They're about to find out when he goes to the cross. But he says, I'm going to leave you. And they, they get super sad. And he says, but hey, don't worry. He sees their long faces and he says, don't worry. It's actually better for you that I'm leaving. What? It's better? It's, it's good that you're leaving? Really? Yes. Why? Because I'm going to send you the helper. Uh, um, there's another name for the helper, the comforter. He's going to comfort you. He's going to help you. It's actually going to be me, my spirit, my very animus, my life, God himself. I am God. He is God. We are two distinct persons, but one God. I'm going to be up in heaven. This is the Taylor interpolation, but this is all packed in there. I'm going to be up in heaven, Jesus says, but I'm going to send my own spirit, the spirit of God himself, down. The spirit that hovered over creation at the beginning uh, over the waters uh, in Genesis 1-2. That same spirit is going to come into you and make you alive through faith in me as Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, as the sin substitute, as the one who conquered death. And he's going to connect you to me. He's going to bring you up to me. He's going to seat you with me, Ephesians 2, in the heavenly places. That's going to be a reality. He's going to comfort you and empower you to witness down here. He's going to give you everything you need. He's going to be me inside of you, speaking to you, hearing you, comforting you, drawing. Uh, it's going to... Beforehand, Jesus was beside them. After Pentecost, he would be in them. And he is in indeed... He, Jesus bodily was just in one place at one time. He was a man, and he still is a man, and he's up in heaven now. But as the Spirit, he can be in and with every single person who believes on him. And so he's, 
This is his body, the church, and he's creating an army. And through that army, his kingdom is coming. And J.D. Greer, he says, Jesus said that if we really understood what is being offered to us in the spirit of God, if we had to choose between Jesus being a pastor in our church and a, and a church in which every believer has the spirit of God inside of them, we would take the latter. We would take, instead of saying, oh, Jesus, if we could have the opportunity of having him be a pastor in our church, we would, we would bypass it. If the other option was, or you can have just every believer can have the spirit of God in them. I'll take that one. Because he said um, that it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that my spirit be in you, that I be with you bodily. The ministry potential, Greer goes on to say, of the spirit of God in ordinary people is greater than if he himself stayed on earth to lead the mission. That is absolutely amazing. And that's really the, that's really the, the story of the whole book of Acts. And that's how Luke starts the book of Acts by saying that, hey, in, in my gospel, the gospel of Luke, I, be, I, told, I began, I, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the implication every commentator agrees is, he's saying here at the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And the implication, the unstated implication is, and Acts is about what Jesus will continue to do and teach. Through whom? through his body, the church, empowered by his spirit, filled by his spirit, connected to him by his spirit, as he, the generalissimo, commands from heaven on his throne, we are seated with him, but still down here on earth, connected to him by his spirit, and he is speaking and acting through us, his church. And that's why we're in Acts 29 church, because we believe that, this, that he continues to do that through us. And one day he will come for us and take us to himself and bodily be with us as our king forever. We'll see him with our own eyes. We'll be with him forever. Um, I just want to challenge you. Are you, do you believe this? Do you, know, do you know in recap that the spirit of God is the mark of a Christian? Do you have the spirit of God in you? Do you believe the gospel? That Jesus wasn't just your example, but your substitute. He died in your place. He rose to prove that his payment for your everything, every sin you've committed or will commit is sufficient to the Father. You have peace with God through Christ. Stop trying. Stop striving. Believe on him. Be saved. Receive his spirit. Be filled with his spirit consistently and continually for power, for witness. And let his kingdom come through you into the world, to the world, through, to you and through you, everywhere you go as you preach his gospel, as you, um, as you live as a new creation in this old creation that is passing away the new creation is is indeed coming through us that is what we get from this beautiful text this beautiful hard controversial text in acts 19 take care